Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and bad magic hates the world ticking time bomb guy, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert and sobering mirror to look into, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about Band Candy, the sixth episode of season three. Band Candy aired on November 10th, 1998, and was directed by Michael Lang and written by Jane Espenson, who is responsible for at least three of my all-time favorite Buffy episodes of all time. I know she's incredible. It is so much fun to see her. And speaking of all the episodes of Buffy, we are a fully spoiled Buffy podcast. So if you've not watched all of Buffy, what you want to do is go take care of that. Like right now, what are you waiting for? It's been 20 years. You had plenty of time. Go ahead and watch all seven seasons, then come back and hang out with us where we talk about everything. You filthy little ponds, are you afraid of a little demon? I hope not, because we're going on patrol. In Band Candy, Giles hangs out with Buffy in the graveyard, helping her study for her SATs, while Trick assures the mayor that he's got a subcontractor who can help the mayor secure his tribute to a demon. You know, just another day at the office. At school, Snyder commands every student in school to sell chocolate bars to raise money for the band. I'm sure we love the idea of going all Willie Loman, but we're not in the band. And if I'd handed you a trombone, that would have been a problem, Summers. It's candy. Sell it. Buffy dispatches with her box of candy bars, selling half to Joyce and half to Giles and then pulls a classic teenage handcuff escape, telling her mom that she's with her watcher and her watcher that she's with her mom, and then going to see her reinsold vampire sort of boyfriend, Angel. I mean, who among us hasn't pulled that same trick in high school? He asks about Scott Hope, and she doesn't tell him that they're not still together. And they both decide it'll be better when he doesn't need her to bring him blood anymore. Buffy then goes home to discover that her divide-and-conquer strategy has backfired. Joyce and Giles are waiting for her, sharing a candy bar as they unite to discipline Buffy. Buffy pushes back, trying to make some space for her privacy. You can't babysit me all the time. I need you to back off a little. All right, come, come on. Let's not uh, freak out freak out. At the candy warehouse, we see Ethan Rain, the Buffy versus delightful recurrent trickster villain supervising the boxing of candy bars. And he tells one of the workers about to open a bar on the sly that he does not want to eat that candy. At school the next day, everyone is talking about how easy it was to sell the candy. And hey, why are none of the teachers here? Also, why isn't Giles here? Out in the hallway, Snyder and Miss Barton are arguing over subbing for a class, and Snyder wins. Miss Barton goes in, immediately dismisses class, and everyone's happy, but Buffy's a little weirded out by it all. She goes to Giles' house after school to check in and finds... What is my mother doing here? Joyce tells Buffy that she and Giles need more time to plan her life, and offers Buffy the car keys. Not one to look a gift jeep in the mouth, Buffy grabs the keys and books it. As soon as she's gone, Joyce and Giles break out the rock music, cigarettes and booze, and Giles becomes a full-on teenage arsehole. So something isn't right. Except I love it. Bring it on. Something isn't right with me. I'm sorry, okay? (laughs) At the bronze, the town's more aged Americans take over the place, getting drunk and rowdy, and the Scooby sense something's not right. When the grown-ups take over the bronze, making out and getting in fights, and Snyder tells Oz he has great hair... They know it's something hellmouthy, and they book it out of there with teenage Snyder tagging along. 
I said, wait up. Snyder. No time has come on us. Out in the street, Giles and Joyce are walking when she notices a jacket she likes in a store window, but the place is closed. Giles throws a garbage can through the window and gets it for her. A policeman pulls a gun on them, but Giles beats up the cop and takes his gun, then proceeds to take Joyce on the top of the cop's car. And you know what? Joyce hasn't had a good time since Pat got demonized and stabbed through the eyes with a garden shovel. So you know what? Fair enough. Out in the mean streets of Sunnydale, Buffy's driving the Jeep, which gets T-boned by a middle-aged man blowing through a stop sign. As they get out to survey the damage, Buffy notices something. Something's weird. Something's not? No grown-ups. No one's protecting their houses. Everyone's just wandering. Defenseless. Come on. It's mine. Swear all the vampires. Buffy figures out it's the candy and sends Oz and Willow off to research the curse while she takes Snyder and makes him bring her to the warehouse that supplied the candy, where she finds Joyce and Giles outside with a mob of adults, all looking for more candy. Buffy tries to talk sense to them, but they're beyond sense, so she takes them into the warehouse with her and finds, of course, Ethan Rain. He runs, but Buffy and Giles track him down, with Giles being about as much a hindrance as a help. Ethan, never one to take more than one or two punches before giving up the game, tells them everything. His job was to create a distraction where Trick could collect a tribute for a demon, and later, when the effects of the curse wore off, everyone in town would blame themselves. Which brings us to the bonus question, and believe me when I say a wrong answer will cost you all your points. What's the tribute? Babies. The tribute is babies. At the hospital, a bunch of vampires steal babies from the maternity ward. Buffy, Giles, Joyce, and Snyder arrive too late, but then Giles pulls out a bit of Watcher knowledge about Lurconis the demon, and they head to the sewers to find him, but not before Buffy has to break up a fight between Giles and Snyder. You filthy little punks. Are you afraid of a little demon? If you want to splash around in the poo, you're the filthy one. Okay, you know what? Everybody should stop it. Okay, listen to me. I need help. Okay, Giles, I need grown-ups. These children are going to die if we don't act now, okay, and think clearly. There is no room for mistakes. Besides which, guys are just wigging me out. They go to the sewers, kill the demon, and save the babies, which works out well for them, but not for Trick, who has officially gotten on the mayor's cranky side. At school, Buffy talks to Giles about her traumatic experience with the SATs. It appears the band candy incident will go in the never-speak-of-it-again filing cabinet, and Joyce shows up to pick Buffy up, and then one of the best moments in all of Buffy happens, and it's delightful. Hello? I say, your car seems to have had an adventure, doesn't it? Buffy assures me that it happened battling evil, so I'm letting her pay for it on the installment plan. Uh, hey, the way things were going, be glad that's the worst that happened. At least I got to the two of you before you actually did something. Right. Indeed. Yes. All right, so Noelle, oh my God, Band Candy. It is the first Jane Espenson episode, and I am so excited about this. I usually don't like to get too extra textual in discussing the stories because we're here to discuss the stories themselves and things that happen outside of the story, like who wrote them, who directed them, what was going on in the real world at the same time, usually isn't that much of an effect, so I try to stay away from that. But I have to say that today is a very special day because this is the first of the run of excellent 
upon episodes that, is, that are going to be brought through us throughout the rest of the series by Jane Espenson. Um, her sense of structure is impeccable. Her quips are delightful. And she and Marty Noxon are tied for the television writers that were like most specifically made to delight me personally. Um, Jane Espenson's work is always so much fun. And I find that like, although there are some episodes that I don't particularly care for, we're going to hit on Gingerbread a little bit later this season. Um, and then later on in season six, there is Double Meat Palace, which has never been one of my favorites. But I think that the reason why I don't like them is um, because of the actual like subject matter more than necessarily Jane Espenson's execution. Cause I got to tell you, this woman knows how to structure a damn story. Like she, you can bounce a quarter off of her structures. They are amazing. <laughs> and then on top of that, not only are they well-crafted, but they're fun and they're funny and they're interesting and they do amazing things with character, which I absolutely love. Um, so I just wanted to do a little like fan girl gushing before we started because Jane Espenson delights me so so much and i love writers fangirling over other writers so fan fan away (laughs) it's fantastic i love i love this episode i love jane espenson Mm -hmm. i said at the top of the show that she's responsible for several of my favorite episodes um but oh my god this is so great it's so great just structurally, thematically. I love that we have been moving through this world where the teenagers have to be the adults because, you know, mm-hmm. hell now. Right. Like they know about what's going on. But, you know, let's go all the way. Let's truly reverse it so that the adults are teenagers <laughs> as well. And I am here for it. It is so great. And it's one of these things that you can do. This is what's called a Bizarro World episode, which is based on this DC Comics, uh, literally called the Bizarro World, which is essentially an alternate universe where we have like complete opposite versions of like Superman and Lois Lane and all of these characters. And um, it's a wonderful thing to do when you've got all these established characters that they are the way that they are to uh, first of all, to be able to break them out of that mold and kind of see a different side to them is incredibly fun. When you're doing stories that involve magic and you know fantasy and like uh, demons and all that kind of stuff it gives you the opportunity to really go into this bizarro world space which is something that you can't do in a story that or it's harder to do i think in a story we'll use like dream sequences or whatever to do it in in something that's more reality based you know um but here in buffy we actually go to the bizarro world fairly often and i freaking love it we had a season two's halloween um in which of course everybody was taken over over by their costumes and so they became different people and we got to kind of see that yeah. um, we have bewitched bothered and bewildered which is a little bit of a bizarre world uh, because there was a um you know, a personality altering curse that took over like all the women in the town with the exception of one. And I think that one of the the defining characteristics (laughs) of a bizarre world as opposed to like a, you know, a weird thing happens with one character where we have like, you know, Xander possessed by the hyenas in the pack, right? That's not bizarre world. That's just one person who's been possessed and is acting weird and everybody has to figure it out. When the whole world gets turned upside down and pretty much everybody is forced into roles in which they are are not usually in, um, then that's the kind of thing 
something that uh, that gives you a bizarre world um, environment. Um, I think that like there's uh, season two, you could probably make a little bit of an argument for I only have eyes for you, but that's really again more of a, a possession because it possesses two people at once instead of one, you know, and it's possessing a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You kind of get into bizarre world territory, but I would not qualify that as bizarre world, um, although it does share some of that DNA. Um, of course, Band Candy, complete bizarre world, um, season three. You could argue for the Zeppo, but again, that's more of a POV shift. We're just seeing the world through Xander's eyes and his experience, which we don't usually do. So that's slightly mm-hmm. different from a bizarre world because everybody else is still very much themselves. We're just seeing them differently through a lens that comes through another character that we don't usually see their POV. Um, of course, The Wish in season three, which we're going to get yes. to soon, which is one of the most classic yes. Bizarro worlds. And I freaking love it so much. So oh, my God. Uh, season four is Something Blue um, and Superstar, True yes. Bizarro Worlds. Oh Both of those are so yes. fantastic. Um, well, the funny thing is we don't get a Bizarro World in season five. Um, we, uh, th- I think you can argue maybe a little bit that we've got Buffy versus Dracula, but I was wondering about why there's, I mean, cause Buffy loves a bizarre, I mean, loves a bizarre world. I think season one's nightmares, you could almost argue also is a bizarre world. So, I mean, we've been yeah. doing this right from the yeah, start. I think so. Um, but season five, we actually have kind of a bizarro season, right? Because this is when we introduce yes. Dawn. We've already taken the reality of the world and set it on its ear a little bit. And I think that the, the, the thing that makes a bizarre world work is that you have a normalized world from which you are departing. And in season yeah. five, we don't get a normalized world because we've got this sudden addition of this character that everybody says has been there the whole time. And yet we didn't see in the first four seasons of the show. So, um, right. so I think that may be why there's no bizarre world in season five, because it's season five is kind of a bizarre season, you know? Right. In that way. Um, season six, we get down to our standard normalization again. And then we've got once more with feeling. And of course, Tabula Rasa, which is amazing. And I love that episode. Yeah. It's one of my all time favorites. Um, and season seven, again, we kind of go away from the bizarre world. We do have storyteller. But again, that's not a bizarre world. That's a POV shift because we're seeing the world through Andrew's eyes at that point. Um, so anyway, that is my whole treatise on Bizarro Worlds, and I love them, and I cannot wait for all of the rest that we get to go through, because this is just the beginning of, like, the best Bizarro World stuff that we've got ahead of us. This is, Van Candy is, like, the first of those amazing episodes, and I absolutely love it. Um, Bizarro Worlds, POV, shifts, always my favorite. They're always Always. so fun. It gives our characters a new way to appear to us, and, like, we give them something really fun to do that's different, and it's just, it's just freaking delightful. Um, but we also have it in this in this frame in band candy of the disturbing second childhood. Right? Yes. <laughs> Which is such a funny thing. And yet at the end, when we have Ethan Rain, of course, explaining why he did it so that at the end, when they realize what happened, everyone would blame themselves. Right. So as right. fun as it is, it's also like reasonably motivated. It's kind of a brilliant chaos scenario for for Ethan Rain. I mean, Ethan Rain is always a joy. I love seeing him. Yeah. We don't get enough Ethan Rain. He's only in what four episodes four episodes yeah 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 but he is just he's delightful i'm always so happy to see him yes no he absolutely is and i love him because he is truly the the recurrent trickster villain right he is uh from the frame of like batman's joker you know um like the, the he is kind of 
from this sort of superhero DNA stock, you know, um, that he keeps yeah, coming back bit. and he keeps causing trouble and then he gets away, you know, and, and, and I would say that Spike shares some of that DNA too, um, because we never kill him at the end because we always want him to come back. Right, right. And I love that he is a coward. Yes. He's much more interested in chaos than in violence. Yes. I mean, the way he winces when Trick snaps the worker's neck. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't, he doesn't want any part of the violence of it. And he cannot take a punch. No. The threat of physical violence <laughs> is enough to get him to I give know. up all of the information Every time. I know. I mean, this guy is just, I love the fact that all you have to do is raise your fist to him. And he's like, I'll tell you everything. <laughs> yep. 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 And I so love in that scene where Buffy's got him cornered and Giles is in the background going, hit him. Yes. Hit him. And then he pumps his fist in the air when <laughs> Buffy You're my slayer. You got to do what I want. And I say, oh, punch him in the my face. Yes. God. No, oh, my God. Oh, my God. So good. Yeah. There's, I mean, Giles, I love, I love Ethan Rain, mm -hmm. but Giles is where it's at. Yes. Especially in this episode. I know. Oh my God. I Giles, mean, let's just, let's oh just talk about Joyce and Giles because I think oh that it is God. possibly the most delightful, bizarre world thing, you know? Um, so we've got, you know, in the beginning, we've got, and I like that we've got the SATs kind of bookended, you know, in this episode that we yes. open up with Dad yeah. Giles, right? Which is my favorite Giles. Dad Giles helping Buffy study for the SATs while they're in the graveyard. And then she stakes the vamp with a pencil, which I freaking love. And then he has a pencil. Yes. To, she's like, oh, broke my pencil. Can't guess. Can't study. Yeah. And he pulls out another one. Yeah. He's. He knew exactly. He knew that she would somehow. Yeah, always bring extra pencils. Lose that pencil. Yeah, yeah you always, always bring, bring extra, extra pencils. <laughs> but there's something. There's something so delightful mm -hmm. about studying for the SATs in a graveyard. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't. I don't know what the what the incompatible frames of reference. Like, what level of incompatible frame of reference that is. But it just. It's so funny. Yes. It's so so funny to me. Um, and you know Giles Giles really is in like full dad mode yeah. in this episode until he's not. Until um, he's not. I mean like it's really it's not it's not really an irony smash but I love when Buffy says um and he doesn't ever say he's sorry yeah. cut to you know ow right <laughs> sorry <laughs> and her ow <laughs> it's one of the best it's such a great it's such a great owl. Yes. I don't really want to fangirl all over one syllable, but it's so funny. Yes. It's so, so funny. It's really funny. It is. It is so fun to kind of see them because you establish this, you know, he is very much her father to the point where when she comes home after sneaking out, he is there with Joyce and they are bonding together as parents, you know, and really playing that role. And there's even that one thing where he says, I know I'm not your parent, but I am responsible for you. And I think your mom's right. You know? Yeah. 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 And he's got when he steps out from behind Joyce, he's in a full on like dad oh, yeah. body language. Yeah. Their body language, the physicality of this episode yeah. is so good. 
so so good. Joyce and, and Giles both. Yes. Are just oh my god, they're both amazing. amazing. They do this incredible they're job. So great. They do this incredible job of being teenagers. And I mean, this is the thing about this particular bizarre world scenario that I find so illuminating because the teenage versions of our adults. I think you know most notably, like we definitely see it in Snyder, but you also see it in Giles and Joyce. Like are actually a really genuine, extremely vulnerable version of themselves. Like we get a window into how who they actually are once you strip away all the like adult responsibility the reservations you know that kind of thing and just allow them to indulge themselves and you kind of see like there's that whole thing from Joyce when they're walking down the street and she's like it feels like I just woke up you know and like all that other stuff stripped away and I am who I really am you know it was all just a dream right and that's I mean adulthood who we are when we're kids. I mean, obviously people evolve through time and they change through time. And I think that like who Giles and Joyce are now is also genuine to themselves. Right. But there is kind of this pure level of just existence to who you are as a teenager. Right. It's so incredibly vulnerable and real, you know? Um, And so it's interesting kind of seeing that reflection on them, you know, and I think that Giles and Snyder are probably revealed the most, whereas Joyce is kind of a stereotypical teenage girl, right? You know, well, oh, you're so cool. She's you're like a little Burt bit, Reynolds. <laughs> she's so, she's a little bit understated. Yeah. Like that, that line about feeling like, you know, being married and having a kid was all just a dream mm-hmm. is like really poignant yeah. that her life, you know, the life that she thought she was going to have when she was 16 is not the life she has now. And just, I don't know, there's something, there's something very sweet and sad about that to me Mm -hmm. that she really has lost a lot of her like joie de vivre, you know, having been through this, this marriage and divorce and, you know, raising this arguably really difficult child right that she's kind of lost touch with who she used to be Mm -hmm. and who she wanted to be yeah now I think teenage Joyce is probably like not all that great like she's not you know she's not highly capable willow right but she definitely enjoys things Mm -hmm. she's I love the way Christine Sutherland is always giggling yeah as teenage choice. It's so great. There's something really right. You know, there's there's the stereotypical teenage girl, but there's also just something really fun about seeing Joyce be happy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually okay, I love Christine Sutherland's performance. And I do find Joyce to be a um kind of a, a genuine and, and <coughs> believable like, you know, teenage girl, right? But I also find it incredibly, like, disturbing to watch. There's a lot of it that really bothers me. Um, there's this moment where they're uh, they're sitting listening to music, like the first moment that we see them really being kids and Giles is on the floor smoking a cigarette and she's looking at his albums. And then she says, do you like Seals and Croft? And he gives yeah. her this look of disdain. And she just goes, yeah, me neither. Yeah. And I swear to God, it gave me freaking flashbacks to like abusive situations that I have been in because that is exactly like what would happen, you know, like that look of complete disdain. And then she says, so how come they call you Ripper? And he's like, wouldn't you like to know? And teenage Giles is a fucking asshole, you know? Um, He's such a dick, you know? And then um, 
they have this whole thing and she is giggling and like trying to appeal to him and he is like he treats her like she is like an appendage, you know, like she is ornament, you know, and I get that like he's teenage Giles and teenage Giles was like a troubled kid, which I think is really interesting. Also to the point where his accent changes. You know, yes. Um, because in um, in the UK or in you know England, they have um, this thing called received pronunciation, which is like the Queen's English. Like this is where the people who go to what we refer to in America as private schools, and they refer to in the UK as public schools, because everything's on the opposite side of a, the UK is basically Bizarro America or America's Bizarro UK, <laughs> whatever. Um, but uh, but anyway, so they've got this like the 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 privileged children end up going into schools that actually teach them to speak in this standardized Queen's English that is actually a sign of class. You know, that that if you speak with a dialect from any geographical place that can identify you from any geographical place, then that is is low class. And if you speak with the Queen's English, no matter where you are, you know, or what kind of accent you're around, then that gives that kind of like, you know, instant notification to everybody around you that you are you know, of a a higher class that you are educated, right? So here we have Giles who speaks with received pronunciation like all the time. Like that's the standard, you know, accent for him. And then we have him in this very, you know, dialect. And I don't know what region it's, you know, I don't know. But it's it's a lower class, anything that's a dialect, anything that's not, you know, um, received pronunciation, I think, in, in the UK. And people who are from the UK can absolutely correct me on this if I'm wrong. This is my understanding. Um, is is considered kind of lower class or whatever. So I find it really interesting that he, when he goes back to that time, he goes back to this almost rebellious use of that original accent that he had from wherever it was that he was growing up. Um, and I find that right. really interesting. Yeah, yeah, that he's more, he's more himself. Yeah, yeah. He's more, that it also suggests that his, his accent you know the 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 Giles that we're used to hearing is a bit of an affectation. Yes, that he's doing it on part like, that he is is conscious right. of shifting into that more educated sounding but, way of speaking. But is that an affectation, or is this just what adulthood does to people? <laughs> like, you know, it, well, yeah, I mean, that's a thing too. Because you're that's genuinely who you are. Like, I am different as an adult you know, from who I was when I was a teenager. Um, and I speak differently and I, you know, I, I think differently and I behave differently um, and I engage with people differently. And like, is it, does, I mean, does all of that become an affectation or does that eventually, is that eventually who you become? Like people who speak in, you know, with received pronunciation, I don't think it is like an affectation exactly. Because I think it's still genuine to their experience and to to who they are, who they've evolved into, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, maybe affectation was the wrong um, was the wrong word to use, but it definitely seems to suggest that there is a consciousness, yes. at least, or there yes. was at some point. Yes. There was a conscious shift mm-hmm. into speaking differently, you know, which suggests, of course, seeing things differently, right. and you know, engaging, you know, how you speak is how you engage with the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're speaking differently, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know. I'm making a lot out of this, this linguistic shift for Giles when I just, 
I just freaking love it. I love it. Um, Yeah. But I want to go back. I want to go back to asshole teenage Giles for a minute because I read that moment where they're they're looking at his albums Mm -hmm. slightly differently. Okay. From how you read it. Yeah. I mean, he's he is definitely he's he's rude. You know, he's not the most polite guy. Um, but also I get the sense that Joyce is kind of trying to, I don't know, prod him a little bit for like, yeah, so when are we get, when are we going to do it again? Because they're in a full on, like, we've just fooled around mode. <laughs> He's got his suspenders down, yeah. like, around, like flopping. Her dress is fully unbuttoned at that point. Yeah. So it kind of feels to me a little bit like she's just trying to make conversation to pass the time yes but but she's thinking about like okay so like when are we gonna when are we gonna fool around again Mm -hmm. and he is very much into his music and his smoking and can we talk about how they smoke cigarettes (laughs) like they're joints (laughs) Uh, I Not think that I would know I think from my coded, own personal experience. I think they had to use yeah. cigarettes, but I think they're coded as joints, right? Certainly, yeah. I mean, certainly the way they the way they hold up. Mm-hmm. There, there's there's something special in those cigarettes. Yeah. that's all I'm. That's all I'm <laughs> something saying. special in the candy. Something special in the cigarettes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, but I just I I don't know. I I see the the like abusive. Um, undercurrent there, mm-hmm. and I think that I mean that's the patriarchy, right? Yeah. When men are the men are the highest tier, mm-hmm. then then upholding the patriarchy becomes cool mm-hmm. because what Giles is in that moment is the cool guy, right? And it's the cool guy who like can't be bothered to try to connect. Yeah, exactly, you know, exactly with with the girl. So I don't know. There's there's something. There's there's something there that works mm-hmm, for me mm-hmm. in the way that that there's I read that scene as they have different goals right. in this moment. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she follows it up with, I know how to order pay-per-view. I know. And I'm just dying <laughs> because I'm like, yeah, like last ditch effort, like wanna watch porn. Exactly. You know? I know. I know. It's very sweet, but like, I don't know. There's something about that that just really was a was a flashback for me. I mean, I was like, that's freaking awful like i hate the way that he talks to her i hate the way that he treats her but i love them together it is so delightful (laughs) i love them together so much Mm -hmm. and i feel so i there's something wrong with me no like i like my love for the two of them and this relationship and particularly this dynamic that they have where he is the cool bad boy and she is kind of the clinging vine like oh oh riffer that was so brave I like i love it i yeah. love it so much well i think it represents genuine experience which is good we also know that it's temporary we also know that they're both in an altered state so it's kind of one of these things where we can enjoy it without necessarily having to worry about the broader implications because once this wears off there will be really no broader implications aside from the fact that they have now slept together so that's gonna be kind of a an awkward thing uh going forward in the relationship no, a- between joyce and giles that's a great point about Bizarro Worlds giving us a temporary. Yes. Like we can we can um we can enjoy 
even kind of taboo mm-hmm. situations with a bizarro world because there is that promise of and everything will go back to normal. Right. Like you can enjoy, you know, Giles breaking a store window yes! with a trash Beating can. up a cop. And then, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Giles. I know. I know. And I oh. love that. Ooh, cop has got a gun. <laughs> yep. When he's taunting the guy. Yeah. It is so freaking adorable. And I honestly could watch like endless scenes of Joyce and Giles being teenagers. It's the best. They're so good. Mm -hmm. They're so good. And when then he then he, you know, right before he goes to kiss her and lay her down on the hood of the cop car, she pulls her gum out of her mouth. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. Like he gives her the look. And she like reaches into her mouth and pulls out her gum, and I'm just like, I "Oh, know. this is this is so good." And then later in the hospital, mm-hmm. they're making out again, and Giles, when Giles pulls away, he's got her gum in his mouth. It's so hilarious. <laughs> They've established her chewing gum this whole time, yes. and she blows a great bubble she does. at one point. I'm just like, "Yeah," I'm like, "Well done." It's That's pretty not adorable. Easy. Um, oh god, but when he pulls back. After that last makeout, and he's got her gum in his mouth, oh. I die I know, a little bit inside. Best. It's so funny. <laughs> so funny. I mean, I mentioned yeah. it a little bit earlier, but the physicality is great. Yes. I mean, the phys- especially Giles's physicality as a yeah. teenager, the way he's leaping over things yes. and, you know, taunting the cop and getting into fights. I and know. And bouncing up and so down with glee good. behind Buffy as Buffy hits Ethan Rain. You know? Yes. It's pumping so his fist in the air. When, uh, you know, so when good. she's like, leave me alone. You want to fight me? Or you want to let me talk to my mother? And he like flips this dramatic gesture behind his ear, grabs a cigarette, just lights it and sulks off. It is freaking adorable. And I love it. <laughs> that is one of my favorite mm-hmm. moments. Yes. He pauses and like pulls his hand away from her and then just sort of runs right. it through his hair. Like that was always what he was <laughs> intending to do. Like you didn't cow me, Summers. I'm just gonna, you know, it's like a like a cat yes. covering for you know some like really graceless yes. flop mm-hmm. off the couch. Oh, I meant to do that. That's exactly. I know. And poor Buffy's trying to deal with the two of them. And this whole thing where she's like trying to, you know, tie up, um, uh, I think it's Ethan Rain. And she's like, and then Joyce pulls out the handcuffs and Buffy's like, never tell me. (laughs) So funny. So good. But also sex PSA, everybody. I'm serious. If you're doing a little, you know, police theme role play in the bedroom or even on the hood of a police car, um, please, please, please don't use metal handcuffs during sex. Metal is extremely unforgiving and metal cuffs can cause serious wrist damage, um, especially if they're worn for too long. The person wearing them can't get them off themselves. Mm -hmm. And I know you're thinking, but I don't want them to get them off themselves. And I hear you, but in an emergency, if you can't get to the key quickly or the key gets lost, you are screwed and not in a fun So please go down to your local sex positive sex shop, get yourself some restraints. Bonus, they come in fun colors. (laughs) Safety first, people. Safety first. I care about you and your sex lives, (laughs) all of you. (sighs) What's up? 
I have to sell chocolates to make enough money to produce the podcast and whatever. And it's so dumb. Well, do you like have to have to? Can't you just like blow it off? No, uh, podcasting is like expensive and it costs money and whatever. And I have to pay for stuff and for you guys to host with me. And it's like a lot, you know? Right. Or we could just like go to the bronze and party. Oh my God, that sounds like so much fun. Okay, just let me get this out of the way and we'll go, okay? Okay. This episode of Still Pretty is brought to you by RainsTricksterNonsense.com. Got a demony tribute that you need to distract people to pull off? Or a demon from your past trying to kill you and your wildling high school mates? Maybe you just want to have a little fun by filling a hellmouth with good old-fashioned Halloween-y chaos. No matter what it is you need done, Ethan Rain is the guy to do it. He's also the guy to give up the whole evil plan before the first punch lands, but that's all part of the service. It ain't proper chaos if you don't get caught. Go to RainsTricksterNonsense.com using the code LITTLETREE to sign up for your free trial today. Or you could choose to take the couple of bucks you might pay Ethan Rain for chaos, only to find that he's given you up to the Slayer and skip town with your cash, and instead give that money directly to Chipperish Media so that we can keep making the great podcasts you love, like Still Dead about the Angel the Series, hosted by me and Dr. Kelly Jones. Listen up A-Holes about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, hosted by me and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. Orgasm about explosive inspiration from Dr. Kelly Jones and our own Noelle LaCroix, and our Star Wars podcast, Metaphors Be With You, hosted by Rob Hyrett. Go to patreon.com slash chipperish today and sign up. Okay. Oh my god, that was so cool. Oh my god, thank you so much. I really kind of felt it, you know, like I was in yeah. that moment yeah. and I just, I, I went with it and now it's so much better and I think we should just go to the bronze. Wait, don't you have like SATs that you have to study for? I don't see how that's mutually exclusive. Okay. Okay. All right. So another one I wanted to talk about while we're talking about this kind of like, you know, disturbing second childhood is Snyder, who I kind of think was really represented fairly well and and kind of genuinely um, throughout this episode. Like we had that moment earlier in the season, you know, I bet you didn't get a single date in high school. Right. And we had that discussion, yeah. like this is our measure of coolness that like what's wrong with Snyder isn't about whether or not he could get laid in high school. <laughs> like it goes way, yeah. way deeper than that, you know. Um, but the thing that I love about this representation of Snyder and very specifically Armin Shimmerman's, um, you know, presentation of that so is... Good. Oh, my God, it's wonderful. You can see, like, the insecure kid that grows into this snarling, angry, impotent, middle-aged man. And when I say impotent, I'm not talking sexually impotent. I'm talking about the more generic, you know, disempowered, like the powerless, the powerless person trying to reach and scrape for whatever power they can get, you know. Um, And I absolutely love it. Like, we have that moment where he's talking about, you know, I get to write up the teacher, you know, and he gets all excited. Oh, God. The little bits of power, what that does for him. He's amazing. Well, something I love about Snyder, especially, we see it, but we see it with all the adults, is that as time passes and as they eat more of the candy mm-hmm. more of their teenage self comes out mm-hmm. so when he's talking about study hall and he's like he's just kind of whiny he's like yeah. everybody expects me to do everything because i'm just i'm the principal it's not fair mm-hmm. and then you know we move right into the like the joie de vivre the like he he's super super eager mm-hmm. when he runs into Puffy and Willow at the bronze 
oh my god that like except i am so stoked and i'm like yes me too snyder me too my friend he delivers every line with such gusto you know know. whoa there's some foxy ladies here tonight like he's so he's funny he's He's so so good but you absolutely do see that like the glee mm-hmm. at his own power, you know, yeah. the principle, like he's, he really, he, he's really invested in this idea of having some status because clearly as a teenager, he really doesn't like, he's, yeah, he's not cool. And no, no one will so give him great. the time of day. It's so he's, great. He's so, I mean, and he's so there's a there's a weird sort of sweet vulnerability to yes, him. Like when he yes. says, I can do that. I took Taekwondo at the Y. And he <laughs> does his little his little move. Oh my word, Snyder. Right. Right. And when he asks Joyce out, or when he like sidles yeah. up next to her, like, so are you two like going steady? You know, and she just rolls her eyes at him and <laughs> leaves. It's so I'm incredibly doing- it's sweet and it's vulnerable, and he just has this sigh and it's like, oh yes. man, I can see where Snyder came from. But one of my favorite lines from him is actually like a really bad line because he says, um, like when Buffy's driving away and he goes, oh, Buffy or Summers, you drive like a spaz. Now, spaz is a uh, ableist slur, so we don't want to use that. Um, but I I love, um, oh God, I love the reference to um, like that kind of teenage vernacular you know, if we had like yes. a word yeah. that could that could get across that same sense of of, you know, that teenage existence in a way that wasn't, you know, um, terrible, you know, that wasn't morally reprehensible. Um, I love his delivery of it. I love his enthusiasm when he says it. I love the way I, I think what I love about it is that it, it is like this done in this teasing way. Like he's part of this group. He's trying so hard to be yes. part of this group. So I love absolutely everything that that line conveys, except for the specificity of the language and the and the way that language is used. Um, but I love his delivery. I love I love all the implications of the way that he says it. And it's just it's it's one of my favorite moments, even though it's terrible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have I have plenty of those. In, I know. In Buffy and elsewhere where you're just like, oh, it's such a bummer that that's what they said. But Right. And so the thing great. is, is that there are other things that can come along with some of those words that are connotations and, and associations that are brought into it at a certain point, you know, um, that you want to be able to like strip it out of its bullshit and toxicity and yet have something that you can use in its place that doesn't have that you know Um, but that can also kind of get across that that teenage vernacular that desperate need to belong the teasing way you know that he's trying to be part of the group like all of that stuff has gotten across so wonderfully in that line but the line itself is really uncomfortable all right so um one of the things that i kind of wanted to address a little bit is that we have some like back burner plot stuff (laughs) that we're trying to like kind of keep a reference to like we don't want to forget the fact that willow and xander kissed last week in homecoming right um so we have them uh flirting with their little footsie playing under the desk with by the way my favorite pair of sneakers 
ever. Those Adidas sneakers that Willow has, those orange Adidas sneakers are my freaking favorite. And I absolutely love them. And then Xander's wearing the black version of those, the black boy version of those, you know. Um, I love that their shoes match. Yeah. I love that so much. And I love that Xander's shoelaces are untied. I know. Of course they are. There's something just like Everything on Xander is always a little bit untied. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Xander. There's something just very sweet and sloppy about that. And I love I I love the way the the Xander Willow romance is folded into the rest of the episode. We Mm -hmm. don't you know, we don't stop what we're doing to deal with the Xander Willow thing. Yeah. They're having this conversation. And then when Cordelia turns around and there's this great thunk as they both yes. skitter back over to their side ah. of the, the table. <laughs> and Willow's, the expression on Willow's face is like she just has, suddenly has the worst stomach ache of her entire yes. life. And it's yes. heartbreaking. It's I so know. sad. I know. And so we bring it up again when they're researching and Xander hands her the book and their thumbs touch. And it's like, oh, my God, we're going to get caught. Our thumbs touched. Yes. Yep. And then Um, once again, Cordelia to the rescue. You want to swap? As Willow's looking at the boys. Research. Want to swap? What? Yes. (laughs) Books. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, it's really, it's really cute. It's really sweet. It keeps up that little bit of conflict in the background, but it doesn't really have a place in the current narrative. It's just kind of keeping it going, you know? Um, And we have the same thing, of course, with our obligatory, don't forget, Angel's still in town. You know, he's healing up. He's getting better. He's doing Tai Chi, which is both spiritual and pretty. So um, so it's always fun to see David Boreanaz without a shirt because you can't wear a shirt and do Tai Chi. I think well, that it's, and I'm glad to yeah. see that Angel is feeling well enough to yes. get his torso waxed and oiled. <laughs> Go down to the vampire spa. Uh, I guess, <laughs> like I'm, like I'm just really, I'm glad that he's up to like that yeah. level of self care. Yeah. At this yeah. Point. Well, you know, I mean, there is an argument for do vampires grow their hair? Oh my like, god. Do they need maintenance? Is it like, did he get waxed once in the 40s and it's been fine ever since? Like, I don't know. Like, Oh, my God. I don't know how all that works. And we have that lovely episode of Still Dead, uh, which is Still Dead 13 and a half, because we just we found this uh, woman um, on Twitter, Lolly DeRozier, who is a biology teacher um, and education advocate. Um, and we talked to her about like vampires and how they work and all of this stuff and how the biology of vampires would work. Um, so you can find that in the still dead um, uh, feed at 13 and a half. So right between 13 episodes, 13 and 14. Uh, really, really fun. But now that I'm thinking about it, trying to remember um, exactly what she said about whether vampire hairs would grow. I don't know. It's a magical. I remember her saying it's it's a magical force that keeps their you know biology ticking. So I don't know. But she had yeah, some really interesting to things be. to say. And probably there's an answer in there. And I'm ashamed that I don't entirely remember it <laughs> because it was a great conversation conversation um but anyway back to angel um he is uh he's 
present you know we're keeping him present we're making sure that we get our little bit of you know romantic tension between uh, Buffy and Angel he asks her about Scott Hope she neglects to tell him that she and Scott Hope have split up um, and they talk about how it'll be much easier when he doesn't need her to deliver him blood anymore and um, and they can just stop seeing each other you know um, all together and, uh, and we all know that that's you know not where this is going to go um, yeah, but it's, it's fun to kind of see lies. them you know lies and deception all around like uh, why does she not tell him that she and scott broke up because she's still hiding behind scott as he is a man who owns me so nothing can happen here between us oh my god i think she's just i think she's just leaving that space there you know really? like that whole scene just felt kind of shitty to me yeah yeah buffy's buffy's kind of i mean it's kind of a bummer to see buffy be like oh yeah scott is fine and you know Mm -hmm. i don't know and of course they have their little sexual tangeny moment yeah she says smell me no garbage smell me (laughs) okay that that is that answer that she gives him yes he mm-hmm. says, how'd you get out? And she says, oh, it was easy. Started a fire in the prison laundry room, rode out in a garbage truck. Is that a reference to something that feels so specific? Um, yeah, I think like a prison heist, you know, kind of thing. Like the prison escape, you know, where you set a distraction and then, you know, totally, hop on totally. something. Yeah. But is but there I don't like know a, if it's a famous specific... movie or TV probably, show or something? Probably. Because there it's are not so Shawshank. many. No, <laughs> there are so like many that. pop culture references yeah. in this episode. Yeah. Um, that but that was one that felt really, really specific. But I, I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't find it anywhere. Right. But here's the smell um, me thing. Right. It was a moment. It was a moment of weird, you know, sexual awkwardness. Right. You yes. know, um, so we have that. But also, like, is it possible to sneak up? on a vampire because he has this like and I, this is one of these things where like when it's handy we give yes. him this incredible sense of smell and hearing like you can talk about a movie three blocks down the road and angel right. in his cement mansion is going to be like spoilers people spoilers right um because he can hear like that far away you know um and like he can smell like if he needs to track people like oh, i can smell her and he just follows the scent of you know her we're gonna see oz do that as a, a werewolf yeah. uh in a couple of episodes during a lover's walk which is amazing i can't wait to get there but anyway we're in band candy now i'm gonna live here um but you know i mean how how is it possible for her to like sneak up on him between the hearing and the smell like he should know she's on her way which may have actually been right you know he was just lying on the floor like staring at the ceiling but then he smells Buffy right. coming and he's like okay I'm gonna do my Tai Chi I'm gonna oil up real quick right and do right, my right. Tai Chi posing because uh makes me look good <laughs> I think it's probably I would imagine that like vampire superpowers are like any of you know human abilities like I don't use the same I don't use the same force to pick up, you know, a coffee cup that I do, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know. What's some, I'm like, I'm racking my brain. I'm like, what's something heavy I pick up on? When you accident with the kettlebell? You know? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you like, go. Mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Like raising, yeah, raising a, a you know, 30 pound kettlebell mm-hmm. up to my shoulder level is not sure. the same as, you know, lifting a coffee cup. Um, but your senses are still there. Like, okay, I have a very, I don't have vampire sense of smell, but I have a very like sensitive sense of smell. And like when I smell something, I notice it. <laughs> like, 
Um, so I don't know. But then again, I guess I wouldn't notice what I don't notice. So maybe. I don't know. It just seems weird. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I Between just hearing if, and smell. Like, yeah. I just wonder if they dial it in like when they need to. If they yeah. need to like tune into it. Who knows? Yeah, I think it's Who narrative knows? powers. Like when 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 totally. these powers are necessary for the narrative to explain how Angel can find somebody, you know, easily. Um, yeah. Then we pull it in, and then when it's not, when we want to have him be surprised by Buffy just kind of like stepping in, uh, then we we suddenly take those powers away. But anyway, it's it's a minor little thing, and I've spent way too much time talking about it because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. But the other thing that's missing from this episode, which I noticed and felt the lack. Um, is faith <laughs> like yeah I wanted faith in this episode and like I get it you know she's not a series regular she's not in every episode you know they haven't hired her for everything they've got to have her not be but at least explain did she go somewhere you know did she did she yeah. take off and go to like Disney World or Disneyland or whichever one's in California you know for a little while or like what <laughs> I mean I definitely I agree that faith not being here is like weird yeah um but i can also see faith taking all kinds of advantage of this situation oh yeah you know and like hooking up with much older men <laughs> yes and, absolutely uh, like that's not super i'm not i'm not super comfy with that mm -hmm. um so maybe that's why Faith is not here. Right. I don't mind having her there. I wanted, I just wanted somebody to mention why she wasn't there. I wanted somebody to acknowledge her absence because it feels like she should be part of things. I don't know. Well, so I mean, but I that's another one of those narrative, like when it suits yeah. the narrative. Like, right. Exactly. You know, like there are mm -hmm. so many times when the Scoobies are out doing something and like nobody's like, Oh, where's Joyce? Like, is Joyce okay? No, right. like Joyce's Joyce's safety only turns up if we're gonna do something about if we're gonna Joyce's do something. safety, right? But she wouldn't ordinarily be there, though. Like, if Willow right. was missing or Xander was missing, we'd have a reason why. And Faith, right. having been recently brought into this, and also being the other Slayer, like she's, I think, yeah, important. Like, yeah, I think she has yeah, a status that requires explanation when she's not there. Yeah, okay. you know, like That's I just—I don't know—I—I I, I missed her. That's all I'm saying. I just missed Faith. <laughs> I noticed her absence, just, just and I missed her, about it. and I wanted a reason. If Faith's not going to be there, then give me a reason why. <laughs> you owe me that show. Exactly. Exactly. Uh -huh. Um. All right. So, Noel. Uh, yes. What are you wearing? Let's talk oh about what I actually God. wrote down some stuff for, you for, for had wearing this. So week. much for clothing and like fun, <laughs> meaningful clothing choices. So have at it. Well, I have to say, um, first of all, this is just personal love. I love Willow's fuzzy sweater hoodie. Right. And I completely yes. want one of those right now. Um, and I'm probably gonna have to make it myself because I don't know where I'm ever going to find it. But it was freaking adorable. And I loved it. Um. <laughs> Willow has a whole collection of fuzzy sweaters. I know. I love that this is like a Willow wardrobe staple. Between that she, and her sneakers and the little colorful short skirt with the white tight. It's just adorable. The little the tights. Yeah. The whole yeah. thing is adorable. Um, so I, I love Willow's whole thing that she's got going on. Um, Giles. 
Giles going back in time, becoming this teenager, oh stripping the tweed, right? Down in, in, you know, first it's like the jacket comes off, then the vest comes off, then the suspenders yep. come down, then the tie's off. Next thing you know, he's in a t-shirt, folding cigarettes in the sleeve like Danny fucking Zuko. It is incredibly stupid and also so awesome, and I love it. And he's wearing an earring. Oh, my God. By the end of the episode, he yes. is wearing an earring. And I'm just like, I am here for it. And he messes I, with his hair. It's so great. I love Teenage Giles. I teenage love Giles. Teenage Giles so much. Mm-hmm. Um, teenage Joyce also looks fabulous. She, she looks really so does. Good. She really does. But it's so weird, though, because, okay, earlier, like in the scene, Buffy's coming home. She's or coming to Giles. She's trying to find uh, where he's been. Right. Her mother's there. Right. And Joyce right. is wearing a full button down dress. Right. So it's a regular dress. Right. Later on, after Buffy leaves and she and Giles are hanging out listening to records. Right. She has unbuttoned the um, the the dress and it has become something of a duster over an entire other outfit at first i thought it was just like a black slip underneath which i would completely understand and would look really cool but it was a sweater with a belt and a short black skirt so she was wearing two full outfits in those layers which seems a little weird, especially for California, right? Because it's, yeah, it's kind yeah. of warm there, right? Um, then we go into the, you know, where we're out in the streets of Sunnydale. He throws the garbage can through the window and gets her this, like, Juice Newtony, you know, feather um, duster oh to God. go over her dress duster, over her sweater, over her, her little skirt. Um, the whole thing is so, it looks great. And it wasn't until I thought about it. And I was like, she's yeah. wearing two full outfits like Joyce layers is one thing but what what was that decision yeah. about yeah the belt underneath yes. the, the what? underneath where did that come from and those I tall boots that she wears yeah. she wears these amazing yes knee-high boots that I'm pretty sure are Buffy's Maybe. but mm-hmm. I mean I know that it's like hand wavy nonsense right it you want to see yeah. Joyce with this look you know with mm-hmm. her choker and it's a great her... look it's oh a God. great look yeah she's so so great yeah but yeah it makes it makes no sense yes Um, if it was a slip dress under i would have been totally for it it absolutely (laughs) it absolutely should have been a slip like a full Mm -hmm. slip under her dress dress yes and you know and it even would have been that would have been very 90s you know underwear is outerwear yeah but i think it might have been too suggestive um to have Joyce I, going around in her slip, even I though don't they have totally yeah. had sex. They've totally yeah. had sex and then yeah. they totally do it again. And I'm just like, all right, like, whatever. Right. And like, whatever. why not? Like, why why not have her in a black, like a black slip under that A would have made sense. Yeah. And B would have looked amazing. Like, she looked great as it was, yeah. but I mean, would have been even better. So like why they put in, uh, there's a reason for it. There's absolutely a reason why. They just they put a full outfit underneath a full dress. That's, yeah. you know, nowhere to um, tuck the handcuffs. I guess. Yeah, I don't know, but, I don't know. Uh, but it works. It works for me. Um, but anyway, yeah, I loved all of that stuff. I thought I loved the matching sneakers with uh, Xander and Willow. So you know, so for me, I was actually really noticing a lot of the costuming, and of course Snyder, right? 
his costume changes not at all. He wears that same full outfit. And it leads you to believe that when he was a teenager, that's the kind of shit he wore. (laughs) That's like so sweet and kind of. And kind, kind of, of sad. A, yeah, it's sad. It's kind of adorable, though. Like, yeah. I'm going to feel more powerful by wearing a suit all the time. Yes. Oh, no, Snyder. Absolutely. I know. Snyder. It's really sweet. It's oh really incredibly God. sweet. So um, good. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. All right. So uh, the girl power moment of the week. Um, did you have one for this? I don't have anything, like, really um, strong to point mm-hmm. to. No, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think there's any one particular moment. Maybe um Buffy advocating for herself mm-hmm. with yeah. Joyce and Giles. I mean she has it she has a point. Yeah. She, she has does. an excellent point. Um but no, I mean nothing nothing stood out to me as like more kick ass than usual. <laughs> I actually really liked the moment though where she's dealing with uh Giles and Snyder and her mom. You know, and she's just like, look, everybody, look. knock it off. She sets them down. She's standing up to Giles. She's standing up to her mom. She's also protecting them. Like she tells them when they're outside the warehouse, right? Um, she tells her mom and Giles to go home and just wait there. But then they don't behave. They don't do what she says. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she takes them with her and super so she can supervise them while she's at work. It's, it's, you know, it's basically like taking your kids to work because you have nobody to watch them. Take your watcher to work day. Take your watcher to work day. I know. And it's actually kind of sweet. And then when she talks to them and she's like, no, what I need is an adult to help me so that these babies don't die. And she just lays it down and she becomes the adult in the room. And I kind of love it. I think that's an amazing like moment of growth and transition for Buffy to be able to be the adult in the room when there is no other adult in the room. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And of course, that's the whole like, you know, that's that's the whole theme that we're exploring here is that Buffy, you know, when the adults lose their ability to adult, you know, Buffy, who's been asking to be treated like an adult. Mm hmm suddenly has to like do all of the adulting for everyone because right. there's mm-hmm. not an adult anywhere around yeah um yeah yeah it's it's really good it's it is good. incredible the I whole think episode it's really is really good it is so good i love it so much jane espenson is the best all right so noelle what is your favorite part oh my god i like the whole i know the whole episode can't be my favorite part i know um i love Miss Barton at the bronze, just high as a kite. She's so funny. So funny. Willow, oh God, it's that's great. a tree. And she's just like, uh, and Snyder even says, I think she's wasted. I put that know. Her for, but she does it so well. And when mm-hmm. I think it's Buffy asks her if she needs some fresh air, she yeah. just starts laughing hysterically and like kind of staggers away. I'm like, mm-hmm. I love that the candy gets you high. Like it's I not just that. that it makes you. I don't t- know. Does the candy oh, get you high or does it make or- you a teenager who knows how to find drugs? Okay. <laughs> All right. It's <laughs> funny. I just assumed that the candy, I think I assumed that the candy had a kind of drug-like effect because we see the guys when they're drag racing yeah, and they like hold up their chocolate bars and like right. take a big meaningful bite out of them. Mm-hmm. Like they're, you know, taking a swig of something before they, right. you know, 
go use mm-hmm. their manly powers of being manly to drive their yeah, cars. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's interesting. Know. It's interesting because um because a lot of them do act high, but like, is it just the the sudden onset of youth, which doesn't usually go in that direction, right? You go from youth right. to age, and you gradually get more tired to suddenly be like middle aged, and then have this thing where you feel like you're 16 again, like that's a high in and of itself. But I think that Miss Barton, like my personal headcanon is that Miss Barton, when she was in high school, knew how to party, and knew where to find shit. And she just went, when she became 16 again, man, she just went and found shit. <laughs> she found high. all the good stuff. All she the, found good the stuff. good stuff. I love yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Or Ms. she Barton. had a stash from her young days, which, oh you know, God. was still somehow fresh, you know? Yeah. Ugh, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. not. <laughs> all right, Lonnie, what's your favorite part? Uh, Giles. Everything. Everything Giles, I, I I cannot even pick, is my favorite part when he beats up the cop and he says, ooh, copper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when he's dancing behind Buffy trying to get her to beat up Ethan Rain, when he's making out with Joyce in front of Buffy. And like, <laughs> so funny. We're busy. Go away. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my You're my watcher. He... You got to do what I say. Yeah. yeah. Or you're you my slayer. Do... You got to do what I say. Yeah. I love, I love it. I love all of the iterations of you're my slayer yes and you know you're my slayer knock his teeth out right so great no it's so fantastic i love it giles is just giles delights me like almost all the time you know so he's often going to be like my favorite part given given him doing anything at all he's almost always going to be my favorite part All right, that's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Noelle at Noelle Aloud and use the hashtag #StillPretty. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord, where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all the Chipperish patrons who are so cool, like Burt Reynolds. <laughs> You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts or by telling your friends about the show or by calling me Rich, just the last name, like Barbarino. We will be back next time with Revelations, the seventh episode of season three. Until then, are there any nachos in here, little tree? Little tree.